Councilwoman Nariko Zivarajni stands on the stage watching as the parade makes its way down to its destination here in Tatambe Park. Thousands of Absalon Station citizens have gathered at the park to celebrate the defeat of the Civ Dominion and the miraculous restoration of the station's buildings. Ziva wishes she could fully embrace the same revelry, but while Orn and Zeno's cosmic conjunction did reverse the material damage to Absalom, unfortunately, the loss of life remained. While casualties were kept to a surprising minimum given the devastation that occurred, a single life is precious, and much more than that was lost. The large titanium structure in front of Ziva made this all the more raw. A monument to the fallen heroes of the Apollo Protection Agency, her friends. Mike, Oren, Zeno. Gone. Ziva is still battling a turmoil of emotions, oscillating between grief, gratitude, anger, and pride. She misses her friends dearly and feels as if she has been robbed of the celebration of them as they aren't here to join her in the party. She shakes her head to regain composure. This isn't about you. This is about celebrating them. After all, she has a speech to give. Kuiper Vargas sits atop the lead float of the parade, waving to the crowd, uncomfortable in this very public spotlight. Ziva had convinced him that his new position demanded a public face and that he might as well jump into the fire. Besides, Mike would have it no other way. It hasn't been all bad. The genuine gratitude that he sees in the people of Absalom Station warms his heart and makes the Patra swell with pride. This is a far cry from the underground shady dealings that he had been accustomed to during his time with D9. His time with the APA has been his most rewarding and the only time he felt like he was doing his own bidding rather than just being a tool of some hidden hand. He is looking forward to continuing the legacy of the Apollo Protection Agency and of his buddy Mike. But his throat catches in his chest as the float rounds the bend and he sees the monument in all its glory for the first time. The massive titanium sculpture is the sharp angular sunburst logo of the APA with a live tree growing through its center. It is stunning and beautiful and Kuiper almost loses his balance as he takes it all in. No tears come to the Potter's eyes, but the weight of his future does settle on him for a moment. And to himself, he mutters, I, I hope I do you justice, Michael and Zeno. Thank you. Kuiper pulls himself back up straight to the edge of the float and waves again to the cheering masses below as he sees the smiling face of Ziva waiting for him on the stage ahead. Felino Marana is frantically searching the audiovisual tent. Ah, shit, shit, where is it? Oh, come on, I had it right here. Where did it go? Calm down, Fel. We will find it. Just take a breath. Fel is actually worked up in anxiety. He wants this tribute to be perfect. And now he has lost the drive with the presentation he had worked so hard on. But Terry's words calm him down. He starts meticulously scanning the tent. He looks through his bag, the bins of wires and interfaces, the various tables that are set up, but to no avail. Panic begins to creep in again. But before it settles, Valtressus walks into the tent. Oi, Phil. What's wrong? You look a bit freaked out. I, I can't find the presentation. Oh, you mean this? 
and the Kasathan archivist presents the small drive to Thel. I updated it with uh, translation subtitles for all languages. This is being broadcast across the entire Pact Worlds, and as beautiful as it is, all should be able to understand the words. I did ask you if I could borrow it earlier today. Fell feeling a bit foolish, but relieved. Remembers it vaguely. But the intense nature of the setup of this event, he had simply forgotten. He thinks of what Jape, Mike, or Orin would have made, smiling to himself. Fell, out of all of them, had processed their losses the quickest. He understood in the moment Orin told them his plan, what had to be done. And if Fell was honest with himself, he always expected Orin to leave this world in a way that was beyond him. He also had made peace that after this ceremony, his time with the APA and adventuring was done. So finality was the theme of the day for the Berthani. Thanks, Fell. You know me and my memory. Uh, I'm so thankful you're writing that book, or I'd likely forget the last five years. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Phil. And you won't forget. There is something else that was added to the presentation, too. Phil, feeling a slight tinge of panic again at the thought of his presentation being manipulated or changed without his knowledge, but steadies himself and takes a breath and says, (sighs) Okay, well, what did you change? Uh, your young friend, one Weldest Man, and his new band, The Gavins, have composed a piece of music for the tribute. I listen to it. It's beautiful. Almost otherworldly and perfect. Uh, he sends his love and regards as well. Pal, this, this has to go on in half an hour. Uh, I mean, I haven't even... You have, Fel. You've done enough. You've done more than anyone could ask. Go and celebrate with your friends. I can handle this from here. You've earned this, Phil. He's right, you know. And Phil, wordless, just pulls Val in for an embrace and thanks him as he makes his way to the stage to sit next to Ziva and Kuiper. As the last of the parade floats disembark at the stage, the gathered crowd begins to sizzle with anticipation. The speech coming from Councilwoman Ziva will be the first time that the events of the Cosmic Conjunction have been discussed publicly by any of the members of the APA. And though it is unlikely that the councilwoman is going to give a play-by-play of that fateful day, any sort of speech about the fallen members of the APA fosters anticipation and curious excitement. On the stage, Ziva has the center chair behind the podium and she's flanked by Kuiper and Felino. Etram, Uli, Tifanyi, and Iria are also present on the dais. After some time, Ziva stands from her chair pats down her suit and looks out at the crowd. A respectful silence washes through the collected citizens and the anticipation builds as she steps up to the mic. Greetings and salutations, my fellow Absalom stationers, Pact World's residents and friends. Many of you already know me by various names and titles, no doubt. Pause here. Everybody, I'd like to do one final drop, and I want all of us to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. You guys ready? Probably not. Kinda- yeah. <laughs> we'll see. It's, it's time, time for a long introduction. It's a long introduction. <laughs> 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 
Nailed perfect, it. guys. That was perfect. very bad, and I'm very appreciative of it. You got to lock on the lock on the heave. Mm, on I the can't heave. do it. Can't do it. No, it's all good. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Nariko Zivarajni, Madam of the Pools of Paradise, Captain of the Epoch Tracer, Breaker of Shadows, and Councilwoman to the Pact Worlds. But today, more than any other, I ask you please, call me Ziva. The assembly erupts in joyous applause. Today we are gathered here in remembrance and celebration of Absalom Station's greatest heroes and dearest friends, Oren Vance, Michael Ogomason, and Xenophanes Fife. On the massive screen behind her, three portraits appear. Oren with his typical sardonic smirk, Mike with his large toothy grin, and Zeno with his calm, gentle countenance. We honor the extraordinary bravery and selflessness of all of the heroes whose actions exemplified the pinnacle of packed world courage. The devastation that was wrought by the sieve in the Ark Prime was of a magnitude previously thought unimaginable, but thanks in part to those who made the ultimate sacrifice to safeguard the lives of countless others on this station and all across the packed worlds, we are all still here today. In the annals of history, there are moments that stand as testament to the resilience and valor of the spirit of all sentient beings. The events that unfolded on that fateful day are etched into the fabric of our collective memory as a stark reminder of the fragility of life and the boundless depths of heroism. When disaster struck and chaos threatened to engulf us, these individuals rose to the occasion with unwavering resolve. They faced the danger head-on, displaying incredible courage in the face of insurmountable odds. Their actions were not driven by personal gain or glory, but by an innate sense of duty and a steadfast commitment to the safety and well-being of their fellow packed worlders. They understood the risks involved. Yet they chose to confront the danger with unyielding determination, knowing full well that their sacrifice might be the price of salvation for others. As we mourn the loss of these brave souls, let us also celebrate their legacy. A legacy defined not by the manner of their passing, but by the nobility of their deeds. Their courage serves as a beacon of hope, reminding us that even in our darkest hours, the light of heroism shines bright, illuminating the path to a better tomorrow. Though they may no longer walk amongst us, their spirit lives on in the hearts of those they saved and in the gratitude of our community. Let us never forget their sacrifice and let us strive to honor their memory by upholding the values of courage, compassion, and selflessness that they so exemplified. To the heroes who gave their lives so that others may live we offer our deepest thanks and eternal respect. May their sacrifice never be forgotten 
and may their legacy inspire future generations to act and to reach for the stars in the same indomitable spirit that defined their noble actions. Thank you. And with a wave of her hand, a spotlight illuminates the titanium statue in front of the podium. The crowd erupts in applause, and right on cue, the video presentation that Fell had prepared begins on the many screens that had been set up. Various images taken from the APA's comm units display in a slideshow of all their favorite moments, while a beautiful and understated melody led by a violin tugs at the heartstrings of all those in attendance. Some of the various images they see are, and I want to thank all of our listeners for submitting these, so I want you guys to imagine just a big slideshow of all these different pictures. Um, I love there's this. Original crew at the party of Nikondas. Mike and Ziva are dancing. Oren is talking sternly to Weldy. Fell dancing with Hobgars. There's a picture of Oren honking the ship's horn impatiently as they try to leave Nikondas. There's ship footage of Fell's heroic efforts of dragging Zeno across the surface of the Galta prison moon. Candid shot to Fell and Halfred flirting over an iPod. Over an iPad, sorry. <laughs> no, an iPod. It's an iPod, yeah. A quick snap of Ziva as she first took hold of inevitable downfall. Mike and Zeno sharing a laugh aboard the Epic Tracer during a training session. An action shot of Mike throwing a rock at Ziva. <laughs> Ziva and Fell fresh after getting their augmentations from the Glimshar pirates of Outpost Zed. <laughs> A censored photo of Fell getting naked. <laughs> Snapshots of the crew in the Nissan Armada listening to Run the Jewels. A group photo of the gang upon arrival at Neolysium with Oren looking appropriately grumpy. After fight promo shots from the boxing matches on Outpost Zed. Frank and Martha flanking Fell, posing awkwardly at the Pools of Paradise. Ship security footage of Oren standing toe-to-toe with Sardat Ulvestra pictures of Ziva from her celebration party upon winning the councilwoman election. Mike, Rupert, and Kuiper vacation pictures from their trip to the Vescaria and the Dojo Sojourn. A picture of Ziva, Uli, and Lestana Pools teaching the children of guests at the Pools of Paradise. The bells of Absalom ringing across the station. Ziva, sheepishly covered in coffee as they tried to enter the Eclipse Innovations <laughs> building. And so on, as the memories of the last five years celebrate this epic adventures of the Apollo Protection Agency. <laughs> mm. Oh man, and there's so many more. <laughs> like, uh, I'm imagining all of those scenes, and then I'm like, oh man, and then what about this one? And then what about this one? Five years of content, dudes. Valtressus always felt a bit awkward at these book signings. Not the whole time. After a little while, he really did enjoy the conversations with the fans and their energy and enthusiasm regarding the exploits of the Apollo Protection Agency. But right at the beginning, as the line of fans shuffled their feet awaiting his arrival, Val would feel the pangs of imposter syndrome. He didn't doubt his ability as a warrior, adventurer, or chronicler, but the APA's story felt so personal yet for the most part, not his own. Val had initially intended to write the Chronicle of the APA as a historical text, more for preservation and accuracy than as entertainment for the masses. However, upon completing the book, 
Val had submitted the text for review to a friend who was a professor of history at New Kasath University. He had then submitted the text to the Sholara Dot, the physical and mystical repository of Kasathan ancestral knowledge. Lastly, he had submitted it to the monks at the Temple of Talavet in honor of the storyteller. He wanted to ensure that the details of the APA's story were safeguarded on the Adari, if nowhere else. Within days, all three of these venerable institutions had excitedly requested interviews. He humbly accepted, and within another few short days, he was put in touch with one of the most respected publishing agents in the Pact Worlds. His new agent wanted the book to go immediately into mass production. Infuriating his agent, Valtressus refused to publish until he had the approval of the remaining members of the APA. And so, he had three leather-bound copies of the story sent, gift-wrapped, to Councilwoman Noriko Zivarajny, Kuiper Vargas, and Felino Murano. Only after receiving the explicit approval of his friends did Valtressus allow the frenzy of production to begin. Immediately upon release, his book, Pact World's Guardians, The Unlikely Ascent of the Apollo Protection Agency, had flown off the shelves, both literally as a physical book and digitally through the myriad of ebook and audiobook platforms throughout the Pact Worlds. The preface, a long introduction, had made Valtressus a celebrity overnight, as well as the most successful author the Pact Worlds had seen since The Gap. This had not been part of his intention, but rather an inevitability that he viewed as part of the responsibility of telling the tale entrusted to him. Currently, Valtressus is deep into his Pact World spanning book tour. His agent wanted to capitalize on the Kasatha's sudden fame and give the people of the Pact Worlds a chance to see him and meet him. And so, Val's life for the last year had become a series of overcrowded book signings, panel appearances at conventions, guest spots on Pack World's talk shows, sparring sessions with celebrity fighters at famous dojos and arenas, and trips to notable shrines and temples to Waden and Ta Talavet. Honestly, the fame made Valtressus uncomfortable, but he accepted it all gladly, including his now bloated schedule, because it let him spread the true story of the APA across the Pact Worlds. Despite his good intentions, Valtressus was beginning to feel burnt out. He was grateful for his success, good fortune, and for the opportunities he'd been given, and was still often struck by the absurdity of it all. But he missed the journey. He missed camping under the stars and seeking out little-known masters of the martial arts. He missed his quest for self-perfection. He missed the thrill of discovering a new legend. Valtressus had zoned out. He was sitting at the wide wooden table in a bookshop in Asana Town, one of the bubble cities of the Burning Archipelago, with copies of his book all around him waiting to be signed and purchased. In front of him were a line of eager, mostly Lashunta fans, waiting for their chance to meet the man who had helped Madame Ziva and the APA save the Pact Worlds. He sighed, shook off his daydream, and resigned himself to be pleasant and welcoming. Suddenly, a group of Kasatha entered the doors to the left and politely but firmly announced to the crowd, We pardon the interruption, but we have an important delivery for Valtressus Reish Elbaquan. Uh, yes, welcome friends, what's this all about? We were told to bring this to you in person, direct from the world ship Adari. The lead Kasatha handed Valtressus a hollow module. Engraved in the lid of the hollow module was the symbol of the Doyanet, 
the representative council that acted as the worldship Adari's governing body. Val nodded to his agent, who quickly stepped up to the table, announcing, It's time for a quick break. Valtresis will be back shortly to finish meeting all of you fine folk. Your ticket numbers have been recorded, so take a moment to get some lunch. I'll peruse the fine selection here at Asana Town Book Depot. Val motioned for the other Kasatha to follow him into the lounge area in the back of the bookstore. He flipped open the hollow module, and a bluish-purple hologram of a smartly-dressed but aging Kasatha appeared life-size before him, and crossed all four arms in salute. Valtresis Resh Elbaquan. I am Emma Elotok Hin Sokathu, captain of the world ship Idari. It is my pleasure to inform you that you have been selected by the people of the Adari to serve on the Doyanet. Um, Captain, I'm honored, but a bit surprised I wasn't even running. <laughs> Valtresis, you know as well as I that the Kasatan people select who they will, regardless of whether one seeks the position. Your exploits and fame have brought you the respect of your people, and they have demanded that you represent them. I need not to remind you that this is a great honor. No, of, of course not, Captain. I'm, I'm truly honored. I'm just a bit shocked. Um, might I ask, what position in the Doyenet have I been selected for? In this moment, Valtresis was deeply conflicted. He was incredibly honored that he had been chosen by his own people for such an important position. Serving the Doyenet was one of the highest honors a Kasathan of the Adari could achieve. However, Val was no politician, and he feared that his service would shackle him to the Adari. He loved his home, but Valtresis had always been a traveler, going where his instincts and the next great story took him. This could end all of that for the foreseeable future, perhaps even for life. Valtresis Resh Elba of Clan Kwan. The people of the Adari have elected you to a position of Doyen of Exploration. You will have a voice in the Representative Council, and you will be required to take part in all matters that pertain to the governance of the Adari. However, you will serve the interest of the Adari by exploring the unknown and little-known reaches of space, both near and far. Report to the Adari as soon as possible. I hope you've got a bag packed. Tears of joy ran down Val's cheek as he crossed all four arms in salute. He thanked Captain Zogathu. After the hologram shut off, he thanked Talavet the storyteller for the success of his chronicle. Lastly, he thanked Waydon, the endless horizon, for the gift he had just been given. All right. That's pretty satisfying. For, that was for, lovely. Yeah, That's I like awesome. That. I like that. We're appointing you to go exploring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Pretty pretty good wrap up for Val, I think. Yep. Yeah, I was really pleased with it. He, it, it ties all his stuff together. Mm -hmm. He can you know, pay homage to the traditions of his people in service of them mm -hmm. going and exploring awesome, crazy stuff that in my head, Kenan, is absolutely a high level adventure. Off in space, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right, of its right. Own. Prestige class, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mythic levels. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Thelano Marana looks out from the observation window of the transport shuttle as it descends into the atmosphere of Verses. The mechanic ponders what retirement will look like for him as he sees the electric metropolis of Kuvakara swoop by below. From there, they pass the farmlands that separate the city from the sky dock, and Fel's face is somewhere between a grimace and a smile. He is home, which sounds nice, but he's still at a loss as to what he is supposed to do now that his time with the APA and saving the world is done. The ship gently lands in a vacant spot on the sky dock, and after the final checks and post-flight procedures are complete, the soft hiss of the hatch signifies that it's time to disembark. Felno grabs his satchel and duffel bag and makes his way off the ship, suddenly overwhelmed by the press and a crowd of people. I guess someone figured out you were coming here on this ship. Just smile, buddy. You got this. A not-so-small part of Felno's decision to leave Absalom Station and return to Verses was his great distaste for the fame that came with their success over the Civ. The public all hailed them as heroes. Fell had made peace with the losses, but he still didn't feel comfortable with celebrating that day quite yet. So he had left Absalom Station in futile hopes of escaping the fans and press, but, of course, here they are at Skydock. He forces a smile and a small wave to the throng of people, saying, There's nothing I can tell you that isn't more eloquently written in Valtress's book. I appreciate all you guys, but for now I, j I just want to go home. The cameras continue to flash as a disappointed murmur and a cacophony of questions rise from the crowd. Fell presses on. They follow him for a while, and at one point, Fell thinks that they may actually get into the vehicle with him. He is saved by his old pal, Bevan, Bevan, Bevan. Go on, Fell. I got you. All right, all right. Leave the hero of Absalom Station alone. He deserves the quiet. You know, I knew him before he was a big hero. I got some great childhood memories I could tell you. Bevan winks at Fell, then turns back to the press. Fell smiles and nods to Bevan, grateful for the support, and then gets in the back of his cab, a solid black armada. Fell went home specifically to see his parents, but he feels lost and overwhelmed, aimless, alone. The robotic driver says to Fell, Where to, pal? <laughs> <laughs> For a moment, Fell slips back into his old habits. The autocab drops him off at his old watering hole, Parklow's. It's too early for a drink, so the place is empty aside from the same robot bartender that's looking a bit worse for wear. Fell goes inside and notices just how small this place is, how insignificant. He starts to order a drink, and Terry calls him out, saying, Come on, Fell. Let's not do this. This, this place is depressing. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I know. You're right. So without ordering a drink, he leaves. Calling his parents like he knows that he should have when he landed. Uh, so you call and Frank answers the phone. Hey, uh... Fell! Pa, oh. Alright, what's... Fell! Hey, yeah, Hello? hey, hey, pa, uh... Uh, Is that Felly Bally? Martha, yeah. it's fine. Just let me talk to him for a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm back in Verses. Um, Great. This is great. 
I want to see. I want to see you guys. It's well, yeah. uh, right. naturally. It, you want to you want to go grab a bite to eat? Maybe catch up a little bit. Yeah, that sounds great. They opened a brand new space olive garden right down the street. Uh, I'll put in some reservations. Uh, and uh, why don't you meet us there in about an hour? Is yeah. that enough time? Yeah, yeah, that that uh, sounds perfect, Paul. I'll, I'll, I'll see both of you there. I'm going to the Olive Garden. I'm going to put on my nice dress. Fell has dinner with his parents, Frank and Martha. He tries to explain what happened, and they say what they've heard on the news. How he helped stop some sort of genocidal AI, and how he helped save the Pact Worlds. He doesn't really know how to explain more than what they've already heard. Fell makes a mental note to get a copy of Val's book for his parents. Ma, Pa, I, I really don't know what to do with myself now. Like, after all this, what what should I do? I mean, there's always potatoes to farm. I, I don't know about that, Pa. You are always so smart, Phil. What if, uh, what if you, like, opened up an augmentation shop or something? Yeah, that's not a bad idea, but I don't know about running a business. It just, it seems like... So so much. I I don't know. Oh, you're trying to be lazy now. (laughs) I think I've earned it, maybe. All right, you're right. I'm just busting your balls. Frank! That's our son you're talking to like that. Oh, he's a grown man. He'd save the universe. All right? No, so what? You know, listen, son, we can't tell you what to do. We tried that a long time ago, and that didn't make things good between us. That's... We're glad to have you home. We're glad that you did what you did. But only you can decide what you're gonna do. As soon as Frank says that, Fell notices an ad for the Reese Foundation playing on one of the vid screens in the restaurant. Martha, noticing Fell's distraction, asks, Hey, Fell, uh, weren't you friends with that Reese guy a long time ago? Fell wonders, but doesn't ask, if Terry might have hacked the screen to play that specific ad? Later, Fell reaches out to the Reese Foundation and barely gets to introduce himself before they start rattling off all kinds of positions that he's qualified for. He reflects for a moment, and asks Terry what he thinks he should do. Look, Fell, you already know, but if you need me, you trusted inner voice to confirm your feelings. Yeah. I think this is why you came back here in the first place. Fell thinks back to Ziva's speech and decides that he wants to make sure that people are prepared in case something like he's experienced, the Islanti, Dr. Gargant, or the Civ Invasion ever happens again. What better way to do that, Fell thinks to himself, than becoming a teacher? So Fell accepts a position at the Kuvakaran School for Magic and Science in the School of Scientific Arts as a professor, teaching practical engineering as well as computer manipulation and mastery. Professor Marana arrives to teach his first class and is met with gasps. Among the students, a specific human with intelligent eyes and sharp features stands out to Fell because he doesn't seem so much in awe of Fell as he is excited focused, intense with anticipation. Fell begins the lesson. As you all probably know, I am Professor Murat. He is immediately interrupted by that one student's arm shooting up, eagerly reaching for the ceiling. 
Yes, Mr. My name is Finn Graydon. Professor Marana, so you were there when the Drift Beacon Anomaly was made. If you're willing, can you... Would you tell us how it was formed? I heard there was some kind of superintelligence involved. The class murmurs for a bit with excitement, as this is obviously a subject they were all eager to hear about. One student says, I heard Eber showed themselves to the APA. While another states, Well, I was told that the anomaly is from the Shadow Plane, because APA is in league with people from there. Shouts erupt back and forth as all of the rumors of that fateful day churn into a froth. Fell sees the young man, who is still maintaining eye contact, looking a little discomforted, yet pleased, at the ruckus that his question had created. Fell raises his hands and says, Hey, 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 quiet down, quiet, please. I see there's a lot of misinformation being thrown around. I also see that we won't make any progress in this class until I speak about it. So yes, Mr. Mr. Graydon, I will answer your question. Fell pauses, collects himself, and surveys the class. Though I am afraid that this is a very long story, without much of a satisfying answer, logically speaking. There was a superintelligence involved, yes, but he is, or he was, once a close friend of mine. There is another who we all owe our gratitude to. I won't be able to answer everything definitively, but I'll clarify what I can. First though, what do you all know about quantum time distortion, plane of bleeding, and cosmic conjunctions? All right. All right. Nice. Yeah. Well, I guess oh, the I do teach, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that did teach. That done did. Done did, son. Didn't in some. It's another peaceful day on Absalom Station. Another blessedly mundane day, with civilians occupied with thoughts on the resurgence of Scorchwave music from the Burning Archipelago. I think it's been almost a year since the Civ invasion. Thankfully, the rebuilding efforts had been minimal after the Quantum Ray's reversal, and still, the events from that day linger in their minds. But the desire to move on prevails. And it seems APA is no exception. Nestled within the busy corners of Absalom Station, the Apollo Protection Agency has grown remarkably in this short time, thanks to now CFO Tefan Yi's financial guidance. The young Lashunta's acumen for finding opportunities was unrivaled and even featured in a piece for Abadar Corp's Financial Quarterly magazine, praising her skill for maneuvering within the security sector. When it came to the decision of heading the APA after the tragic loss of its founder, Michael Titanium Mike Agamason, there was little debate in finding a suitable successor. At the request of Tefan Yi, Kuiper came as a top recommendation to follow the Vesk's mission and carry his vision forward, a position he was honored to accept. Following the events of the Penumbra Protocol and recent Civ invasion, the APA was in the position to not only survive, but thrive. As the revenue streams widened, so too did the APA's footprint. Now in the Absalom Station's Eye District, the Protection Agency gains influence across the Pact Worlds, with no small measure of help from the good councilwoman, Miss Zivarajny. 
Before long, APA was thrown around with buzzwords like strategic foresight, innovative tactics, and a commitment to excellence. Nothing wrong with the marketing team trying to earn their bonus. As the APA experienced its own growth, so too did Kuiper. Within the walls of the newly overhauled headquarters, its CEO paces the lengths of his office with a personal AI, taking notes. A blur of strategic decision-making, client meetings, and operational oversight briefings keep the Patra occupied for most of his days. Take this down, Ford One. With my new speedy translation mode, I can take dictation in 45 languages simultaneously. If you act now, you can upgrade... No, Ford One, remember, we are avoiding pitches in your speech. Kuiper managed to extract 4-1's programming with Fell's help on their way off of the Epic Trace for that fateful day. However, reprogramming the AI to have typical speech patterns rather than advertisement language has proven to be a difficult challenge. However, 4-1's efficiency as an AI has proven to be an invaluable asset for Kuiper's new role as CEO and keeping all the information he's responsible for organized. I am sorry, Director Vargas. Thank you for the reminder. No need to apologize. Just take this down, please. Follow up to Project Veritas. Send an agreement contract to contact contact ID Crystal. A soft knock at the doorframe interrupts Kuiper as Defan Yi steps in. He liked an open door policy, same as Mike. The two talk loosely about weekend plans while the Patra's eyes drift towards the hanging boxing gloves. And just as Tafan takes notice, her communicator trills from an incoming call. Sorry, I have to take this. Tafan Yi presses the call button and speaks into an all but hidden earpiece. Councilwoman Melacruz, how can I help you today? Oh, yeah, of course. Just send the invoices to my email and we'll get that taken care of right away. Tafan takes her leave to start her day, so Kuiper does the same. The morning progresses and Kuiper convenes with his top advisors in the APA situation room. Ongoing missions, deployments, and upcoming projects were today's topics. Kuiper listens intently, offering insights and directives with calm authority. The afternoon brings a series of virtual meetings with clients ranging from government officials seeking advice on planetary defense to corporate executives looking for personal protection. By the end of it all, he feels a little overwhelmed and wonders if Mike ever felt over his head handling the executive functions. He grins wryly, as he already knows the answer to that. That old vest probably couldn't leave Absalom Station fast enough to go pick a fight. Occasionally, the old Patra would revisit Mike in his head, believing the big vest would approve of Kuiper's directions on carrying forward the vision the agency was founded upon. Meanwhile, the station continues its orbit around the sun, casting a burning backdrop that silhouettes the Patra and the cityscape. In the quiet of the moment, his thoughts drift to days with the crew. Of course he'd be thinking about them now. It's Mike's birthday. He'd need to visit Jatembe Park before nightfall. Kuiper steps out makes his way to the promenade as late afternoon casts long embers down across the eye district. Surfaces adopt orange hues and black shadows, bringing the titanium monument forward into frame. 
At the foot of the monument, Kuiper places a single Dashko tooth, lights a cigarillo, and stands quietly, soaking in the moment. His eyes soften behind the smoke as he recollects his time on the epic tracer and eventually breaks his silence. Hey, Mike. Can't believe it's been almost a year. I've been keeping things in line, but you know how it is. In meetings, all the time. As sure as death in taxes. I'm getting craze in my beard just thinking about it. At least with you I looked younger, but next to Tifan, ugh, I look positively ancient. Of course, she's been a blessing, one miracle after another, just killing it. <sighs> we have been blessed. The galaxy is saved. The Siva Salt is no more. Still, the universe, she feels quieter without that laughter echoing off the whole place. In Orin, no one could get as stubborn as you. And I didn't take your side enough, but you made damn good points. Zeno, you are still a mystery, but damned if it could have been done without you. For all I know, Maybe your theory worked and you're in a better time with more company. Moment passes. And then the Patra bows gracefully with a mix of grief and fondness in his voice. Happy birthday, you old Vesk. Keep a spot warm for me. We've got stories to catch up on. The old Patra walks along the promenade as the sun slowly dips beyond the horizon. The shadows close in and the Patra fades away where the line between hero and ordinary is as thin as the veil between planes. For now, he is here steadfast at the helm of the APA, guarding against any uncharted dangers ahead that would disrupt the safety of Absalom Station and beyond. I know you're a cat, but what a good boy. Ziva stares out over the lush green space that is Jatambe Park. From her office here in the high-rising Pack Council building, she can see most of Absalom Station. For a brief moment, she sees in her mind's eye the horror that was. The station is engulfed in flames. People scream and cry as they try and flee from the doom raining down from above. Then the blinding flash. She blinks. And the scene is gone. And in its place, peace, renewal, hope. She takes a deep breath 
and chases the lingering panic away with the shake of her head. She's still having flashbacks and nightmares, but they're becoming less frequent. That seems to be the sentiment for many of the packed world residents she's spoken with over the last few months. We've all had time to mourn and to somewhat reclaim our peace. Now it's time to grow something new and beautiful from the seeds of sacrifice that were sown by so many brave individuals. Her musing is interrupted by the door softly sliding open. Quartz, Ziva's personal assistant, enters the room with a large tray of glasses and water pitcher. Counselor Rajni, the other members of the Pat Council should be here any minute. Is there anything else I can get for you? The iridescent glow of their crystalline circuitry casts an almost ethereal shimmer around their angular features. And for a moment, Ziva's reminded of another soft-spoken android. She smiles at the memory of Zeno and looks at her friend and colleague. Quartz, I've told you too many times to count now. Please, call me Ziva. They share a small chuckle at the joke as the first guests arrive. The rest of the council members and their retinue arrive and settle into around the table. With the usual pleasantries and greetings out of the way, Ziva directs the conversation to the changes she hopes to put in place. To begin, she speaks with Milgan Navaris Kachalandar, the Kasathan representative of Adari. First things first, have we been able to learn anything yet of the new beacon? She can't help but look upwards towards the unknowable anomaly just outside Absalom's space, but then she forces her gaze back to her fellow counselors, focusing in particularly on the Kasathan representative. And that, I believe, in the last report you mentioned getting a team in place. How goes it? We have had our research team attempting to break through the force field, but to no avail. The Church of Triune continues to press us as they feel they should have exclusive access to the beacon. But thus far, our team has been able to keep them at bay. I fear they eventually will not take no for an answer. But for now, they are not pushing the line. Ah... I see. Well, we will continue to offer up any assistance we can aid in understanding it. Now then, let us shift our attention from the unknown to what we do know, the Vantrids and the Akliths. Ziva turns to Uso, the Vantrid delegate. Uso, how are the Vantrid adjusting to the news of their recently uncovered origins? Well, our climate has returned to stable levels, so that has been nice. The unending cycle trust has been a success thus far, as our Abadar Corp partners have made it possible for us to study and extract technology from the world seed. Well, it will be some time before we fully comprehend the quantum core and grapple with our origins. Hib is on its way to stability and greatness, I'm sure. We plan to host our first packed world's invitational at our racetracks and hope that all denizens of packed worlds will enjoy the festivities as we introduce ourselves proper to the pact. I am so very glad to hear it. I, for one, will be there with Belzon. <laughs> the councilwoman moves her eyes to meet Lynn Camulin, Director General of the Stewards. And the Akliths? 
Have we been able to make contact with Cathlo? How is the rebuilding of their world going? They are still in the earliest stages of settlement, but I am pleased to report that Calicor's magic has provided a beautiful, thriving planet for Aculus's rebirth. It really is a marvel. But given the distance that Lathath is, I imagine reports and rebuilding will be a long process. Likely generations before the civilization is even close to its former size, or to even being able to classify it as a civilization. Now, it is just Cathlo's garden, and we are supplying tech and supplies. Very good. Undoubtedly, the process, as you say, will take a long time. But the (laughs) sheer existence of such an occurrence is still so mind-boggling. Even when all seems lost, there is still hope. She glances up again at the anomaly, and a bittersweet... She glances up again at the anomaly, and a bittersweet smile settles on her face. Now, I would like to share with you all a project that is very near and dear to me. We have all been through so much in such a very short amount of time. We are all still picking up the pieces of our lives, and some of us will never regain what we lost. There is a hitch in her breath and her eyes start to mist over. The loss still catches her off guard periodically. Last week, she was shopping in an antique store where she saw a physical book, and for a moment she thought, oh, or in life like this, and then she remembered. When she sees the potted cactus in her personal quarters and smiles, and then she remembers. And every time she hears a bell ring, She remembers. She clears her throat and continues with her presentation. Yes, we have lost much, and we cannot let those losses be in vain. But we still have so much. So many of our people stepped up to help during the attack that kind of selfless attitude should not go unrewarded. And so, in remembrance of our greatest heroes and in anticipation for the future greatness of our amazing constituents. I present you with the Titanium Mike Champion of Absalom Station Award, a scholarship program for lower-income students studying anywhere within the Pact Worlds. The main criteria for application is an essay writing competition where the students will describe how their training or degree would allow them to best help people. Because anyone who dedicates themselves to the betterment of the Pact Worlds, whatever their field may be, is a champion. The council applauds, and after the budgetary aspects are discussed, and the scholarship is approved with a unanimous vote. After a few more issues and points are addressed, the meeting is called to an end. After all the other delegates have gone, Ziva is about to leave, but first calls over her shoulder to Quartz. I'm going to check in at the pools. Did you need anything while I'm out? The android chuckles and shakes their head. (laughs) No, Counselor. Just tell the rest of the family. I said hi. She laughs a bit at herself as she leaves the room. She's gotten much better, but it's 
still hard for her to not always be the person helping others. She smiles as she steps into the marble foyer of the pools and grins larger as the smells of salt water, essential oils, and imported Castrovellian flowers lingers in the air around her. Uli has made some wonderful changes in the place since she's taken over as CEO of the pools. While it still houses a staff of escorts, a deliciously decadent dungeon, and on the whole is still a hedonistic heaven, she has instituted more holistic services designed to build healthy bodies and minds. After the devastation that so many went through when the station was all but torn apart, she wanted to focus more on healing rather than just feeling good. Ziva enters one of the new large classrooms as the last yoga class of the day is letting out. Everyone that passes her is smiling and seems to exude a sense of peace and hope. As the last person exits, she walks up to the teacher. Uli rolls up her mat and without looking says, Hello Ziva, how was your council meeting? <sighs> Pretty good Uli, uh, how was uh, class? Everything looks quite well here. Yes, everything has been going quite well. I've told you many times you needn't feel the necessity to come check on us all the time, but it is good to see your face nonetheless. <laughs> you know, Uli, sometimes I'm not checking on you so much as checking in on myself through you all. <laughs> ah, that is fair. Would you care to do some stretches? Sure. Yes, I think that that would be quite nice. She would take off her heels and then kind of assume whatever position Uli leads with. Mm -hmm. Oh, that spot's there. That's rough. Oh, right there. Hold on. Yes, just breathe Shoot. through it. Yes, there you go. Right. Yes, very yes, good. Right. That's all right. It's all right. Tell me, how are the classes going? This this one is well. Uh, I know you're doing many others. Uh, was it like acupuncture or something? Uh, yes, uh, we've we've added a number of services to the menu here, and I, it's it's been wonderful to add healing elements to the pools. I think it is possibly one of the best things that has ever occurred to you. And she would kind of come out of a stretch and just sort of like prop up, like on her tummy, on and prop up under her chin with her hands. Uli. You are one of the greatest things to happen to this place. One of the greatest things to happen to me. Thank you. For everything. Thank you. And she goes to hug you, you know, of course. She can see that you're kind of feeling a little, she can intuit that you're feeling a little heavier today. And as we kind of like come out of the hug, uh, you would hear heavy footfalls. Uh, similar, or a familiar rather, uh, stride that we would both know for Shabad. Oh, Ziva! I didn't realize you were here! You saved me a trip! Shifts a large data pad into one of his lower hands and pulls her into a hug with the upper two arms. Look at all these new recruits for the APA! Uh, <coughs> you're always, always such good hugs. A little too much that time. I know you're excited though, so he's fine. Good thing I can do breathing exercises. Yes, Uli? Jesus. <laughs> yes, um, I'm glad that both of you are here, actually. Um, and he seems a little nervous. Um, it's like I wanted to talk to, to, to 
both of you, and he seems kind of confused whether or not he should be talking, directing this towards Uli or towards Ziva. Um, so, as the pools has become more of a place of peace, and there are plenty of skilled security agents here, um, well, when I was with you on the Epic Tracer, and when I killed that dragon, um... That was very cool. That was super... It was really cool, and... It was lit, I think, as the kids say. Did I do that right? Yes, I think that's what they say. Uli Ah, says. um, (laughs) Listen, I... Uli, Ziva, I, I... I can never thank you enough for what you provided me here at the pools, but... I have a calling since that experience. And, well... I think that I would like to go join the APA full-time. I think that that's wonderful. I, as you say, and she would kind of like reference around to the the very zen nature of the pools nowadays. I think your talents are, we'll not say being wasted, but certainly not being used to their full potential. And you are right, you do have a calling. And uh, Uli kind of gives you a side eye, and she says, As your boss, and your mother, surrogate as it might be, <laughs> of course, Etrim, I could see no better course for you. We will be fine. Thank you. Thank you both so much. This was not exactly what I expected today, but I will tell you, it's exactly what I needed. Thank you both. I am so happy that both of you have figured out, have, have found your peace, found your calling. I'm so happy that I can be here with you as you experience it. I love you both. You know this, yes? Of course. Yes. And she would just kind of like grab Uli and underneath her arms and like scoop in by Etram and do the most interesting body size differential hug that's yeah. ever been hugged uh, but they make it work they do it's really sweet after the much needed conversations with her dear friends she feels more at peace than she has in days stepping out onto the bustling streets of Absalom station she looks around at the myriad people every one of them is living a life of their own telling a story of their own And each one of those stories has now overlapped with the person next to them. We have all suffered. We have all grieved. And we will all grow. Together. She looks up once more at the new beacon pulsing steadily in the sky. No matter what, we will be ready. We have all been through so much, and no matter what you or any other person, creature, entity, or otherwise may throw at us, we will be ready. Because we are all in this together. She smiles wider as she steps into the crowd, and soon her form is lost among the throngs of people she has sworn to protect. Yeah. 
Yas. 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 I think it was. I think Yas. it was. I changed Yas. my mind. Midwork. <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> okay, guys. I need one final doodly do. Oh, oh wow, we can yes. do a doodly do. Okay. We're doing a doodly do. So doodly here we go. Do what? You ready? Oh yeah, uh, Zach's, Zach's priming us. We flash back to the bridge of the Epic Tracer. Orn and Zeno watch as Ziva teleports Kuiper, Fell, Val, and Etram back to Absalom Station. Orin looks at Zeno briefly, nods wordlessly, and bolts to his piloting console. With determined calm, Orin sets course to the Ark Prime and straps into his chair. Zeno appears next to him in the science officer's chair, though more as a symbol of support than of any functional purpose. For as the epic tracer enters into the field of the quantum ray, Zeno's image begins to flicker, then scramble, a digital mishmash of all his former shapes and selves. Random utterances from Zeno's past accompany the glitch, but none of it translates into any logic for Orin. He will have to do this alone. Orin looks through the bay window of the bridge directly into the pulsing, sickly blue light that is the quantum ray. He thinks of his friends, relieved that they will be safe. As he approaches the growing intensity of the quantum core, he doesn't fear whatever is coming. Being here in this moment now, he feels a strange sense of deja vu or memory, like he has been here before. He is overwhelmed with the sense that this was always going to end this way, and that brings him some inner peace. He has never felt so connected, so one with Ibra as he does in this moment. The Epic Tracer shudders violently, now fully encapsulated with quantum energy, and Orin divinely threads the needle into the impossibly small ventilation shaft, the starship's hull shrinking to fit through the opening. Zeno is now the shape of the rune drive, and tendrils of verdant code spread out in all directions, the biggest root reaching towards Orin. The Ebrian mystic also sees an aura of magic emitting from his own body, though his is the deep hue of indigo. The two energies swirl in a spiral of incredible power, spreading across the tracer, bathing its interiors in violet and emerald light. The closer to the core Orin takes the tracer, the more his being begins to swell with attunement to the stars, the more his consciousness transcends the material plane. Tears well in his eyes as his mind is overwhelmed with awareness, beauty, the infinite. His physical form begins to break down, painlessly, not being destroyed, but redistributed into the fabric of all things. Yet, Orin Vance's spirit and awareness remains as his final conscious perception is witnessing the Abraic and the Rune Drive charged epic tracer collide with the overloaded quantum core. As they impact, he sees the cosmic conjunction. It is beautiful and terrifying. At this moment, all moments exist for Orin. 
not just his moments and not just his time. It is everything. He sees other universes, other timelines. He sees himself fighting the Sardot Zolon, but the Aslanti overpowers him, teleports back to his ship hovering above, and then blasts the epic tracer to oblivion. Orin tries to shout out now, but no voice comes from his spirit. Then the light of the conjunction washes over that scene, and he sees what he remembers, his defeat of Zolon, and the APA's escape. Then he sees an existence where Ziva succumbed to the shadow corruption and championed an army of Kuthites. All traces of her deep-seated compassion erased from her existence. Again, Orin feels the urge to shout, but is unable to find his voice. The Song of the Cosmos chimes again, and the conjunction washes that scene away to be replaced with the memory of Orin teaching Ziva the mystical arts of healing. And his soul is filled with joy and pride. Ibra's presence overwhelms his consciousness as he has shown countless realities and failures, only to have Ibra wash them away with memories of his successes. The passage of time is unknowable as he is catapulted through quantum space and beyond. There is no cohesive space around him now, just a rubber band of experience assaulting all his senses as his spiritual structure now begins to fade. In his final conscious moment, as the cosmic conjunction reaches its zenith of space-time implosion. Orin sees Xenophi's smiling face as he says, We did it. And then, for Orin, everything goes black as all of his knowledge, spirit, and self implodes with the conjunction into nothingness. Orin's eyes flutter open, but his vision is blurry. His mind is fuzzy and heavy with sleep. A swirling sensation of importance combined with the unsettling feeling of waking up mid-dream makes it difficult for him to focus as he blinks his eyes. The dream he was just having, was it a whole lifetime? It was important, but already details are fading. Orin Vance almost panics as he tries desperately to cling on to the dream, to remember what it was about, who was in it, but he can't hold on as it fades from his consciousness. Feeling an unexplainable sense of loss, Orin finally takes in his surroundings, and the loss is immediately replaced with panic. He is floating freely in open space. How can this be? How did he get here? How is he alive? As the dream fades... Memories flood his mind. Orin remembers the pirates now. Yes, they were attacked. The pirates boarded the ship and killed everyone aboard, including him. Orin traces the cracks in his helmet to the hole that was made by the laser blast. He should be dead. How is he here? Orin looks all around him, not realizing that he is turning himself around in zero gravity with ease, and sees that the wreckage of his ship is just gone, replaced by what looks like a fading purple wave of light. Then he remembers seeing everything and nothing, but has no idea what that means, other than he was spared by... Ibra? Ibra saved him? But why? For what purpose? Just some corpo pilot. I don't even like my job. Why me? Warren thinks to himself, but no answers come. Yet a light does emerge from the tail end of the lilac wave. 
A starship. A medium freighter slowly approaches Oren, and once it gets closer, a small shuttle flies from the starship to him. The shuttle halts next to Oren as the load hatch opens. A lithe, space-suited form reaches out and pulls him aboard the shuttle. The door closes behind them. He collapses to the ground, exhaustion and fatigue hitting him like a ton of bricks, and he falls asleep. Oren wakes up, the dreams of universes and important people fully dissipated now. He is in a small but well-kept starship cabin, his clothes folded on a small table at the foot of the bed. He stands up and walks over to the table and notices that his once plain gray robes were now embossed with constellations from across the galaxy. Hmm. How'd those get there? And he gasps as he sees what looks to be a string of code tattooed on his forearm. No, tattoo isn't quite right. This looks almost like a birthmark. But that is impossible. He's never had this mark. This must be from his experience with Ibra. And again, he wonders why him. He doesn't want any of this. Then there's a soft knock on the door. He walks over and presses the keypad to open the hatch. Standing before him are three people. At the front of the group is a white-haired android with amber skin and light blue circuitry. Her posture and uniform suggesting that this is the captain of this ship. On the android's right is a beautiful Lashenta woman, also with white hair and pink complexion. Her confidence and warmness radiating with self-assured ease. And then, the largest vest that Orin has ever seen stands to the right of this welcoming party, a menacing and imposing grimace on his face. The android smiles and reaches out her hand. Hello, my name is Sedona, and I am the captain of the ship you find yourself on today. This is my XO, Noriko Zivarajni, and this is my chief of security, Michael Agamasan. Welcome to our ship, and we mean you no ill will. We found you floating adrift in space, somehow alive. I am sure that Dr. Vargas will have many questions for you, but for now, we can let that wait. I'm sure you are hungry. We'd actually been planning a bit of a celebration meal for our engineering team, as they have made huge strides in our drift engine research. We would love for you to join us, if you feel up to it. take that as a yes. The android then speaks into her comm unit. Rupert, Felino, it looks like we have another guest for the feast. Prepare the table setting, please. Sedona then smiles at the confused man standing before her, and she says to Oren, I don't know who you are, or how you survived in open space, but I sense magic in you, and I feel like you belong here in this crew. I know that seems sudden, perhaps beyond reason, but I believe this to be true with all my being, nonetheless. I am glad you are here, Mr... Vance. Oren's fine, though. And, yeah, I am a little hungry. Thank you. Welcome to the Epic Tracer, Oren. And we'll see you.